There is a space where you are all you need, where you are all you want. All there is is here. Welcome to the Source Connection, conversations about who we truly are, the possibilities of creation and the new earth we are birthing, with your host, Tara Long and Liz B. Welcome to the second season of The Source Connection. Some people call me Liz. I'm here with my co-host, Tara Long, and our very special guest, Alana Bliss. I invite you to find a comfortable space. If you're sitting, ground your feet. Place your hands where you may. If you have the chance to lean or lay down, you can do so as well. And if you're driving, just keep on driving. Close your eyes if it feels good to you. And let's just start deepening the breath. Making the inhale long and the exhale a little longer. And as you take your next inhale, bring the air down to the abdominal chamber of the lung and then move it out to the chest and clavicular area. And then as you exhale, just let it all drop. As the outer eyes are closed, we become more aware of our other senses, just noticing the noises. Where your hands are laying, your touch. The internal landscaping of the mind. How are you feeling today?
See if you can drop into a deeper space than the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations. Let's take one full inhale together. Inside out. Ah. Two more times. Inhale deep. Ah. And one last time. Ah. Welcome back. Thank you for being here with us today. Alana, if you may introduce yourself, Lady Extraordinaire, what brought you to this now moment here with us? Thank you. Um, well, my name is Alana Bliss, and uh, I am a permaculturalist and a conscious birth advocate, um, doula. I'm a writer, mother of almost five well five <laughs> um <laughs> and a community organizer i guess yeah and um here because liz and i have been working on building community together and she invited me to come be on the podcast i'm very honored <laughs> yeah, our pleasure it's so good to bring you on as we talk about the landscaping of this new paradigm that we're birthing um, collectively and individually. So when you talk about permaculture, could you maybe define that for our <laughs> listeners and people who are not familiar with what that is? Sure. Permaculture is a design science for sustainability. So um, we look at land. We have what well, we have some designing principles that we follow and ethics. So um, our ethics, our earth care, people care, fair share, and then all the designs um, focus on making sure that those are fulfilled, uh, as well as transition is another one of the ethics. And then we have uh, several principles and then that we also follow when we're creating designs. And then we read landscapes. So we want to see kind of what is happening on the land before we Im like impose our own agenda. So we really read it and then kind of find how we can create um, a synchronistic or mutually beneficial relationship with the ecosystem that's there already and our own human needs. And then the idea is to increase yield to the point where it's beyond sustainability. So that's a little gist of permaculture. Co-creating wow. with nature. Sounds yeah. Like yeah. I, the words land guardian came up too. You know, yeah. Guarding the land, making sure it's equally beneficial you know mm -hmm. um liz had before we got on with you um alana liz had a really good question or something that came up for her which was um related in re in relation to permaculture of course we see it on the land that's the definition of it 
How do you see that related in other areas of life? Yeah, so permaculture covers not just land. That's one of the aspects. Um, we also look at invisible structures and social systems um, mm-hmm. because I, there's this um, permaculture flower where it talks about the built environment, the governing, like um, health and wellness, art, culture, um, all these different aspects of human culture and consciousness. And the the ethics and principles can kind of spiral through all of these different petals of this flower. And so, you know, when we look at social systems, we still, we ask ourselves the same thing. Is this, how do we support the three ethics, the core ethics? And also, um, you know, there's a lot, some of the principles like stacking functions or observe and interact, um, these kinds of things we can imply in like, um, we can, uh, uh, I forgot the word use in, <laughs> in our, um, social designs too, in our cultural interactions. So, you know, we can observe, interact other people, we can observe other people before we interact and we can, you know, um, be able to, to design systems where we're considering the needs of the whole human like the have you ever seen the um the nonviolent communication list of all the needs or the maslow's hierarchy of needs like when we're thinking about in terms of reading human landscapes we're thinking about the needs that we all share the patterns that we have all humanity and then from there we can kind of design our specific um culture or you know organization or whatever it is that we're doing to fulfill those needs so that we're honoring the human landscape as well as you know our own intentions. So beautiful. So, yeah. I just have a follow-up to that, um, Alana, which is how do you see it or feel it in this present moment in your life right now or your inner world or your body or whatever's going on for you? Like specifically permaculture or the so whole- those principles you were talking about, you know, on mm-hmm. any of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we we can take it from the practical, tangible to the spiritual there. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. practically, you know, we've got our food forest in our backyard. We've got our chickens. We've got our, you know, gardens. We've got our little aquaponics set up. Um, when we get trash, we, we um, rinse it and bottle brick it, rinse it, dry it, bottle brick it. So we're like, you know, capturing it. So it's not going back out into the world um, to like get eaten by some animal. Mm-hmm. Um, we're... You know, so that's like more of the physical stuff. We're creating systems in our house for efficiency. Um, and then we do similar things with our social net, social networks um, where we're, you know, building with like-minded people um, to create sustainability um, and solidarity uh, in the cultural sense. And then spiritually, I mean, there's like, for example you know, you've got the zones in permaculture, which I don't know if you know about that, but there's like your zone one, your zone two, your zone three. So like practically like in the physical world, that would be like when you make a design, you consider how frequently you use your zone one, which is like the stuff like your, you know, herb garden, maybe if you're using that every day or like your chickens, if you have to tend to them all the time. So that, you know, the things that you, that you are interacting with are your zone one. And then it goes out to like the, the least interaction and then zone, vi- zone five is, um, is nature. And that's the wild that's like the inspiration that you always gain from it's your teacher. Right. And so when you're thinking about that in a social context, you know, that zone zero is like yourself, like the center. And then it goes out to your family, to your community, like the people that you interact with regularly. And then that like zone five is like the entire world. Right. So like 
for me, I, I sink into that a lot when I'm considering what I'm needing and like, where is it coming from and how much time am I trying to give as a mother? I often, um, neglect my own needs, <laughs> you know, because they, especially since I have a toddler. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice for me to remember to come back into that. So that's kind of more my spiritual sense, but also, um, I'm really into deep ecology, which is the like sense where it's like you find spiritual connection to nature. And, um, and so that is kind of like my church, you know, I go out, I try to get out into nature and connect with the divine. And when I can't actually literally go outside because it's too cold, <laughs> yeah. then, you know, I do it with visualization and stuff too. Yeah, we we were, um, well, let me just take the time to just digest or somewhat integrate what you were saying, because it seemed like <clears throat> just the way you speak of permaculture, to me, it's almost this big blanket that extends to everything. You not only the way you treat the land, but the way you relate to others, to yourself. And just all of that. And I think it's so beautiful to communicate in that way so we can, if somebody has never been exposed to that or if they have, to start to expand on that idea, right? How do I apply that principle of earth care and people care and fair share all mm -hmm. around my own being and then in relation to others? Um, when you spoke of being too cold outside. That's something that I was thinking, like, and Tara and I briefly spoke about, like, how does that work in a land where you have the extreme of winter? And how does that, because you also, and we'll touch on that, you are also in Costa Rica with community and applying those principles in a very different um, climate zone. So how is that there now in Minnesota and, you know, the weather and all of that? Yeah, it's definitely very different. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it's never actually too cold to go outside. I mean, if I wanted to really get bundled up, I could do it and have fun and connect, you know. Um, so <laughs> there's that. So you don't want to completely cop out and say it's just too cold. But, um, <laughs> the, you know, that's when our systems go inside. Um, you know, like the, the systems we have, we ideally in, a, in the and traditionally in a cold climate, you're growing enough to be able to preserve for the winter. Um, we weren't able to do that this year because of um, we were traveling around the country looking at where we wanted to relocate to. So our gardens were not so productive. Um, but traditionally what we would do is we would harvest a lot of stuff and bring it in. We, um, you know, potatoes and whatnot. We also, our chickens still lay eggs throughout the winter because we have a passive solar thermal mass greenhouse, I mean, chicken coop. So they're productive still. Um, but yeah, it's an internal time. And that's one of my favorite parts about winter is that it is um, a time to really go in and, and do self-reflection and tend to your, your home and your relationships with your family. And, um, and so that's, and, and also be able to read and just kind of do study, do things like that, where it's a lot more calm. Whereas when we lived in Costa Rica, because we didn't have that specific season of like pause, um, it was just constant activity, you know, mm -hmm. which has its benefits and it's, downfalls as well like for example you get burnt out and you have to like make sure to take that time for yourself or you end up getting burnt out right so that's something that's a little different um here nature forces you to do it it says whoa it's time to slow down relax you know a little bit more um whereas there it was just go 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 and you know because even in the rainy or dry season which is kind of biological winter at that in costa rica when the 
when things aren't, when there's very little water, things start to slow down their growth. The leaves will fall off certain trees. And, and so, you know, if you're in tune with it at the time, you can take, you take that cue and, and also, you know, slow down a bit, but at the same time that socially, that's when everybody comes. So that's our high season. That's when we're like hosting a lot of people. So it was interesting. It was just a very different tempo, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that being in tune with the seasons. And that just reminds me of like when we get into a new year, a new calendar year, right? I'm just like, yeah, it's new me. And I'm gonna all these things. And I'm thinking, wow, wait a minute. It is totally the time to do the opposite, which is just like go inward, reflect, do all those things, but like slow down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so, so interesting, you know, talking about how nature forces you because I just moved to Tennessee, which is cold at the moment. Haven't lived in cold weather since I lived in Minnesota 20, over 20 years ago, right? I was in (laughs) Hawaii and LA and all these sort of places. And so, yeah, thinking about reflecting on that, there never was that like outer inner, the outer like excuse to go inward. It was always just like, okay, it's another sunny day. Let's go, let's do it. (laughs) So it is so nice. It's so nice to have that um, coziness is, is the word that comes to me, cozy. Um, mm-hmm. and Alana, you are, uh, did you say conscious birth coach? No. Um, more, I, I, what I said was, uh, I don't know if I said, said activist. Some, yeah. I'm conscious birth is my passion. Okay. So, um, when I was, when I had my first son, um, I had an extraordinarily spiritual experience and, um, and it had its challenges and all the things, but at the same time, it was very empowering. And so I decided that I wanted to, to like make birth my life path. And I went to the farm, I I had studied permaculture. And so I went to the farm in Tennessee where I took an Mm -hmm. apprenticeship in natural building, um, eco health, eco village development, and also a midwifery training. And during that time I had my, I had my toddler, uh, my oldest, who's now almost 18 he'll be 18 next month. And so he, you know, he was there and my, and one of the midwives, she came up to me and she said, you know, sweetheart, your midwifery is really, really hard on children because they never know when their mom has to leave and for how long she's going to be gone. And, you know, midwifery will always be here, but your children are only young once. Mm -hmm. And so it like really struck me and I thought, all right, well then I'm not going to make, I'm not going to take the path of the midwife at this time. I'm going to focus on permaculture because I saw that as a solution to a lot of our problems, um, our global issues. And so that's kind of why I, I veered that direction. Um, but I still have this incredible passion for conscious birth. And so I've written, I'm writing a, um, a manifesto. I mean, uh, it's called Conscious Birth for a Thriving Earth. And it's um, just, it, it's not published yet. But so it's just in the process. Um, and and I've been, you know, I've been with um, women who are, pregnant as their doula and kind of coached them through the process and supported people. I've done uh, talks about it all over. Um, So yeah, it's just something that I'm super into and I'll like get people excited about giving birth, (laughs) especially it's funny when people are scared and then they're like, wait a minute, really? There's another way. And so it's been something that I'm just really into. Um, Yeah. And then I was also, Oh, I was going to say, I also had was when I gave, I gave a presentation Conscious birth for a thriving earth. Um, birth is a rite of passage. I did at Boom Festival in Portugal, 
and the people who created the festival, it's like 42,000 people. And it's really, um, it's a permaculture based festival, but it's also like psytrance <laughs> musically. Um, so uh, I did the presentation there. And then the, the lady who was kind of facilitating that presentation space, the Liminal Village, she asked if I wanted to co-publish or to be an author, a contributing author on her book called The Psychedelic Mysteries of the Feminine. And so I wrote about how birth is like a psychedelic experience. Um, <laughs> like, because uh, for me, my first, my first experience was extremely psychedelic. I saw um, as I was like in labor, there was a moment where I sat on the birthing stool where I, I saw um, with my third eye or whatnot, like not with my visual, my physical eyes, but I witnessed um, this consciousness of a continual, it's like it was a continuum consciousness of the divine mother. And it was all the women that had ever given birth throughout history, all those that were in the middle of birthing with me and all those that ever would. And it was actually not just humans. It was all beings that birth. And so it was this really supportive divine energy. And, and so I had this um, profoundly spiritual experience where I felt supported and loved and, and I wanted to share that. So that's kind of, so that like led me into like understanding the hormones and all the things that happen during um, during labor that offer these kind of um, esoteric potential experiences for us. Wow. Would you be able to speak a little bit? Because the psychedelic mysteries of the feminine was one of the questions I was going to, because I was curious about that. Like, okay, well, <laughs> you're right. And when you talk about, you mentioned hormones and <clears throat> I think that in our society, for the most part, um, I think that, I don't know, I'm going to re reword it. I don't know if we have a healthy relationship with our hormones and as women. And a lot of times we're made to be scared of them. Like you're going to go into menopause or you're going to win your birth. Your hormones are going to go out of whack. There's always <laughs> this talk about this threat of the hormone, right? And when you spoke about birthing um, and having that kind of experience and understanding hormonally also what's happening in the body. Would you speak a little to that? Yeah. And um, it's, it's also endorphins. It's like a, the, the biochemicals, right? All of these things. Um, oh, just a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I got a phone call. <laughs> um, so yeah. So the body is, des is designed for lack of a better word. Um, I, the body is designed to be able to handle giving birth. I mean, that's our procreation tactic, right? So we have everything that we need. So like there's enough like endorphins and oxytocin and all this flush of the orgasmic, um, you know, biochemicals that we experience to actually ease our pain in labor. And and so that's pretty amazing. Like there, when there were studies where they found that it was more potent than morphine and it was um, in the same, there was like the same biochemicals present in, um, uh, in like smoking pot, for example, the same things that were released that gave you the high were also released during, um, during the birth. And the same thing happened with, uh, with ecstasy and DMT. I mean, there's, it's interesting because all these things that people do to try to like feel altered states of consciousness happen naturally during the birthing process. And I don't actually have my book on me because I lent it to someone. So I can't give you, I did a bunch of research and I don't remember it off the top of my head. So I can't use specific things at the moment. 
<laughs> so um, I can't give exact examples of what that is, but it is the case. Like from my research, I found that this, these levels are there. And the main thing about it is to be able to trust the body. And I think that that's a really big disconnect right now with, um, with like our culture and the cult, you know, is that we've been taught to not trust ourselves, not trust our body to like give our power to authority. And there's something really deep in that around birth. Um, and so the, um, sorry, getting distracted. My husband's going to go get the dog, but he's like standing around the wind, outside like the window barking. Howling. Yeah. He's like, the dog is, is agreeing with you. Oh. <laughs> yes. yes. He's like practically looking at me because I can see the window <laughs> where he is. I'm like, I'm sorry. But um, so uh, so there's a saying. Uh, it's, it says, who controls birth controls the earth. And mm-hmm. this is because of the deep limbic imprinting that happens um, during our labor, during our actual experience of birth. And, and then there's a book that came out in the 80s called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child which started to open up the concept of prenatal psychology and like how we feel about ourselves and our babies during our pregnancy starts to actually create them. It not just emotionally or mentally, but actually physically because um, the, the baby's literally floating in our juices, like all these hormones, endorphins, biochemicals that we're feeling are act are like informing the child of what's, what's out there right in the world and how do, how it informs their, they're like the, the, which genes mat- mature in their gen- genetic code in order to like be ready for the world around them. And that actually goes back to um, when the mother and father's uh, egg and sperm are maturing. So every month, you know, the woman's egg will mature and draw to it specific genes to activate it. And so like how a woman is feeling in the world, it will draw those genes that are most relevant for the world um, to, for the survival of, and like, um, of for the survival of the child and so the more like loving and like the more in love and and supported that a woman feels the more her baby's gonna have the creative potential versus the more like afraid and then like in survival mode the more the baby's gonna be like stronger physically but have less creative potential because they're having to like build a warrior state right so this and then this happens throughout the course of the whole pregnancy um there's a lot of like deep psychology that happens around what they feel about themselves like the child feels about themselves as they're developing the relationship with the child and the mother is primary um and then the second one is how the father feels about it about the pregnancy and the baby and everything and so that's all happening prior to the to the birth but then birth itself is like the big introduction to the world and so if a baby is born in a loving caring open space with trust and compassion and support, then they're going to feel connected. Like if a child has the opportunity to like breathe on their own time, you know, Mm -hmm. take breaths as they need to knowing that they're supported because their placenta is still attached. Right. That is a huge gift because now this person can feel like they're, they're like, um, they have the space to like find themselves because this is a huge biological shift in our bodies. It's actually the biggest one we go through is going from being a, a loop system with our mother to be in a closed loop system with just ourselves, right? The, when the umbilical cord stops giving us nutrients and oxygen. So being able to unfold, that's a really beautiful, empowering place. But when a baby is born in an environment of fear, the mother is being pumped full of drugs that are going against her body. The baby's being born at a time that, that they're not ready. Um, because what happens to trigger labor is there's a protein in the, in the, um, the lungs that triggers the labor process. 
So that, that protein happened, like is, is created but saying the lungs are ready to start breathing. That goes out into the uterus. The uterus takes a signal in and then the birth starts to happen. So <laughs> sorry, I just keep getting phone calls. Um, so what happens with that is the baby's born when the body, the baby's body is ready. And, and that also goes along with mother because if the mother's, if the, the baby's ready, but the mother's fear is strong, it will also indicate the body that it's not a good time. So, you know, so there's many components um, to that. But if a baby is born in an environment where the cord is cut right away, what happens is that they're like symbolically cut from source. Um, they don't have that connection anymore because and they lose all the extra blood that would have come into them through the process of the, the placenta releasing. Um, and then there's also asphyxiation that happens sometimes where a child, if they don't breathe right away, they'll die, right? So there's a, sometimes there's a time where they're not getting enough oxygen and that causes autism and all kinds of other problems. It also creates a feeling of fear and panic in a baby. So that's going on. Meanwhile, you've got bright lights, the doctor's in charge. There's a, so we're being taught from birth right away if we're born like this to, to give our power away to an authority figure that we can't do it ourselves and that we're not safe and that we're not connected. And so those are some really, really powerful, deep limbic imprints that most of people have because of their birth experience, which causes us to feel disconnected from our bodies and to not trust the process and not trust our own biology. This is very emotional conversation for me. And it's heightening the paradox for my own birth experience with my child and how... In one hand, you know, it's like the system presented itself as the savior of that incapacitated birth, you know, and it's, yep. it's, it's interesting because it's been in the time, in our own um, idea of time, the linear time, right? Somebody would say, well, you should have gotten over this. I mean, it's been enough time. But I feel the imprint of that and how you're saying and how it's resonating with my own body and my own emotions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just really grateful for this conversation. And I think I'm going to need a, a call with you later just to, <laughs> us to just process, you know, some of this stuff and how deep it goes. And we don't really, we're just, everything happens so quickly in the aftermath. And I remember the one thing that I heard over and over again, your baby is fine. And how hurtful that was to hear. I know my baby is fine. It doesn't take away from everything else, right? There's this multi-layered experience and we're so easy to dismiss. And it's hard for others at times to be with somebody else's discomfort or pain, trauma in in that. So thank you for um, opening that up and how that connects to what's happening in the world right now. When you talked about giving our power away, being disconnected. And a lot of the work that Tara and I do here is this remembering of you are your own source. You are your own authority. You are your own battery. And how we are in the social construct 
dis, um, disempowered to do that. And we're pulled away at every corner, at every system to just detach and disconnect and disconnect and disconnect. Yeah, because then we have to depend on yeah. systems that are profiting off of us, essentially. And, um, and you know, trauma, all trauma can be healed. You know, and that's really important, you know, and, and I, I've had these conversations with people because like, especially those who have been circumcised that, you know, they're, especially when they're realizing kind of this initial wounding that happens, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing to be able to, to witness the pain, to be able to feel into it and to be able to forgive because, you know, a lot of times people that are doing it, they don't know that that's happening. They don't fully understand the multi-layered complexity of the experience that's going on and they are trying to do their best. And that's like, so that's where the compassion comes in. But I, I get it. Like my first child, he had a beautiful birth, but then, um, so just kind of, so there was this moment where, um, my one before it was my midwife called me when I was eight months pregnant and she said, I'm dying of cancer and I can't be at your birth. (laughs) What what I'm going to say, like, well, that's not good. Go get, do what you need to do. You know, I don't want you to die. And at the same time, I didn't really have the space to be able to really feel the, like how like unsupported I felt because of that, you know? And so her, um, apprentices were going to be present at the birth, but they were very insecure about the experience. They didn't, without their, you know, guide that they had always been there, they didn't know how to act. And so when my baby was born, um, there was a, he was like, I don't know, he was a water birth and they weren't used to that. Water births take time for the baby to like unfold a little bit longer. So like most people aren't used to that because if it's an air birth, they're like, woke up by the air, right? And the water's same temperature pretty much as the, the body. So it took time. But anyway, he, they kept yelling at me, like, bring your baby here. Like your baby's not here. You have to be the one to do this. And I'm just like recovering from just pushing him out, you know, like having this really intense experience because yes, it was, it was beautiful. Yes. It was profound. Yes. It was painful. And it was hella hard. (laughs) You know, it was not an easy thing. It was like climbing to the top of a mountain, wondering every like step towards the end, can I do this? You know, there was a moment where I was pushing and then suddenly I worried that I was going to be a bad mother or something, or I didn't know what it was. It wasn't even that. I worried that I was suddenly responsible for the growth and development of an entire person. And everything I did from that moment on was going to be an effect, you know? And so I suddenly got really anxious and my whole birth process stopped. And luckily one of the, one of the midwives asked me if I was okay, like what I was thinking or feeling. And I told her, and then she was like, Oh, you're going to be a good mom. It's okay. And then I went back into the process, but Mm. to so what, what ended up happening is because my son wasn't like coming because there was this moment where, and they didn't know again, it was so subtle, but like he was in the water, my, my, um, their father had caught them. My like ex, ex my late, I don't know, he, he's gone. He died. So I don't know exactly what to call him, but, um, he caught, he caught the baby. He was looking into his eyes. They had this really connected moment as he was pulling the baby out of the water slowly the other one of the midwife apprentices was worried that it was the wrong thing to do or something. So she swooped in, grabbed him out of his hands and pulled him out of the water really quickly, which put him into a state of fear and panic, which made him hard, like breathe really fast. Long story short, we end up in the hospital 
because oh. the baby is breathing too quickly and not calming down because the, the fear went from non-existent to more and more and more and more the whole time. And we ended up having to stay in the hospital for four days, five oh. days actually. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't a, um, a patient. It was the baby. It was my baby, Janga. And so I, you know, I, I couldn't like, I didn't have a room to be in. I went from like being in the space of like vulnerable pushing to like suddenly being in like defensive mode. Like, no, you can't vaccinate my child. No, you can't circumcise my child. No, you know, you're not going to stick that into him or this into him. You're like being like on guard practically the whole time. And then being like, just go, just go. It's okay. We've got this. He's safe. And I'm like, I'm not leaving my baby here. And so, you know, there was this like very intense energy for the, for that time. And I remember when, when we finally came out of the hospital, I just, we just went back to the house. We closed all the windows. Like we put up shades, it went into the darkness and just stayed in the dark for days until we could like help process all the trauma of that experience because it was intense, you know? So it was like, even though the birth was beautiful, I still had a lot of like healing around the aftermath of it because of what kind of what you were saying, like, oh, your baby's fine. Like, no, my baby's not fine. Look at you got tubes sticking out all over him. You won't let me give him breast milk. Like this is not okay. And actually I've seen how it affects him even to this day, like in his personality. And it's been something that we've been like working on, you know, but like, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of tears here. A lot of, a lot of, held back emotion so we can move through this. Thank you. Yeah. And do you have anything to chime in, Tara? Before we... Yeah, I do. I'm super emotional too. <laughs> it's just, just as a being of the planet and also a woman, I don't have children myself, but, ooh, um, you know, also makes you think of, makes me think of my own process of coming into this world, which now also, but especially back, you know, 43 years ago, or whatever, when I was born, people really didn't have any clue. I mean, there just was no clue. It was just like, get to the hospital, do the things. You know, my mom ended up having a C-section with both me and my brother. And, you know, just to think about the, like all the fear and all the drug medication and just all of that and coming in, just being ripped out. Yeah. Like, what is that? Of course it is what happened. And that's totally that's perfect um but it just yeah it brings it's like there's the beginning the, the beginning is before that of course but of that being brought into the world there's just it just is a reminder of how precious and how relevant how important that is and um but like of course all trauma can be healed like we said um but what i what i wanted to i guess kind of pivot to a little bit is um what you see, what your vision is, Alana, of this, this new way, if you will, or this old way, <laughs> that's just this conscious birthing process. Like, what do you, um, yeah, what is your vision and how, how are you here to forward that? And just, what do you hope to see for birthing? Yeah, thank you. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, conscious birth, when my grandmother was was giving birth was being awake right and so that's first layer is there was a time there's a lot of pain in the birth field there's a lot of there's the pain body within the birth birthing realm is massive because it's been generation and generation and generation of women that have been disempowered in this experience um there was you know i kind of go to the past to, to, to bring it to the future right so there was a time when um 
like my grandmother's generation. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like somewhere from the 18 something, like late 1800s to the mid 19th century, they were giving women this drug they called uh, twilight sleep. And what that was, was that they would, they would literally like be hallucinating. There's this, this plant called Datura and it was a byproduct of Datura. Um, and they would be like screaming and tied down and they had to use forceps and it was extremely horrific. And nobody knew because nobody remembered what was happening. So there was this, oh. the, this the doctors and the nurses and people that live near the hospital would report this incredible screaming. And so like this, but then when the mother was came to the next day, she had no memory of it. So for her, it was this amazing experience where she felt no pain. It was wonderful. And this was like the um, higher end, like people who had money all did this. And before that, it was ether where they like literally just fell asleep. And then they had to invent forceps to get the baby out because the mother's body wasn't responsive anymore. Okay. So like all of that, that's, that's what we're working with. Like there's, and that's not even all of it. There's even more past, like earlier than that, right? So that's something that dealing with, in order to give birth, we need to heal the pain in the, in the field. Um, and, and that's part of like, each of us do that through our own, like embracing the process, understanding our birth pain and our experiences, and then making peace with it because, you know, it's, um, it's a lot, it's a, it's a really big thing that when we start to uncover the depths of how we've been born over the course of centuries, it is extremely painful. So that being said, part of part of the, the vision of the new paradigm of birth is first of all, for us to be able to claim that and say, I'm, you know, mourn it to mourn the, this and to make peace with the fact that this has happened and make peace with the fear, because that's the problem is that it's, we're not just dealing with our own individual fear around birth as women, we're dealing with our ancestral fear. We're dealing with this limbic imprint that we, that our parents have had and this like epigenetic imprint i should speak of you know i and epigenetics is like like how you take your ancestors pain and trauma and, and fear with you as you go to the next generation and tell it's, it's healed and processed it will keep coming up um, and there's a study about that where they would they took these mice or they might have been rats mice or rats i don't remember which but they um they they took the ones and they would shock them every time they would give them they'd put all this smell of cherry blossoms and then they'd shock the 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 mouse and then what would happen is that they did this every single time throughout his whole life and his that but then they never did it to the children of this rat or mouse or whatever and then what would happen is that when they smelled the cherry blossoms they would feel fear and anxiety and that happened for about four generations um and then after that when the like after the fourth generation or third, depending on the line, um, the they would smell the cherry blossoms. They would no longer feel fear anymore, but they would have heightened sense of awareness, like something could happen at any minute, right? And that continued on for the entirety of the experiment, which was thirteen generations. And wow. at the same time, they they had took took some of those the offspring, and they had like a, a beneficial experience with the smell of cherry blossoms and healed the, that. And then it never passed beyond their generation, their, their line. Right. So that experiment to me shows kind of how we move into the next phase of birth. We, and, and this goes with everything that we're experiencing. Like when there's traumas that are, we don't have context to, like, for example, if something happened, you know, and my ancestors smelled mold at the same time that this traumatic event happened and I smell it, then I suddenly get really tense every time I feel it or hyper aware or whatever that smell was, it could have been jasmine you know flowers whatever it is i if i can start noticing those triggers in myself 
then I can start to heal them. But if I don't notice, I can't heal them. Right. So it's a consciousness. So that's what I mean by conscious birth. So it's like looking at the pain, looking at the hard stuff, the dark, the shadow, the, you know, all that like really intense stuff and finding ways to heal it instead of avoiding it. Because that's what we tend to do when we don't want to like come up against something, when we come up against something that's scary or hard, you know, sometimes we'll tiptoe around it and keep going and just think positive thoughts. Right. But one of the things that um, there's a woman named, uh, Pamela Hunt, and she wrote um, Birthing from Within. And she's a midwife, and she had, you know, helped tons of babies. But when it came time for her to give birth, she ended up having an emergency C section. And wow. it was because she was so resistant to it, and she had so much fear around it that she manifested it. So she came up with this meditation where you like imagine yourself in the like worst case scenario, and you visualize it the whole way through. How does it feel? How does it, you know, how do you? like the whole first thing you just it's on like the first time you think about this and you imagine it there's no like coping you just are in it and then you imagine the same thing happening again but the second time you do it you see yourself being strong and coping with everything that happens but you don't change the storyline right and in doing that you're able to process the fear out and then you're not manifesting it so that's one thing so like how do we how we getting getting conscious of our triggers getting conscious of our fears and then and then for having supportive networks, like one of the things I talk about is the initiation of, of birth. There's the initiation of the mother is to be able to trust her body completely to release her fear because fear is the brakes in birth and trust is like the gas, right? So like if a tiger comes in the middle of your birthing process and you're in the forest or, or you know, in the savannah or wherever you are, if you're in the forest and you see a tiger, what's going to happen is you're, you're going to be afraid. Your body's going to release the fear, um, adrenaline and cortisol. And then what happens is your body says, that's your, that's you telling your body it's not safe to give birth right now. So then the body stops giving birth and starts to get, get back to non-birth, like non-labor, right. Um, phase, depending on how far along it is. And then, um, and then when you get safe, fight the tiger, whatever it is, your birth will start up again. Right. So the problem is that if you think you see a tiger, but it's not actually there, the same thing happens in the body. So right now we have so many people afraid of the process, afraid because their own birth experiences when they were born. So because of the things that they've seen, you know, or heard or the, the belief systems that we've picked up from our, our ancestors. So we're afraid the whole time. So it's like we're fighting our body the whole time, right? So releasing the fear is super important. So that's the mother's initiation is to release the fear and, and like do the work to process out all of the trauma that we carry with us around the story of birth and the experiences and feelings that we have around it. And that's not an easy journey. And unless we know that that's what we're doing, it's really hard to do it naturally because we just live our lives. And then it's like we try to find ways of coping. So that's the mother's initiation to release the mind, release the fear, just go within allow surrender and then the baby the, the baby's initiation is like the blank slate right this this baby is is a blank slate they're they're picking up everything there's no right or wrong ultimately it's just what it is right like i could be stressed out a bunch during the pregnancy it doesn't make me a bad person it just makes me like it just happens to inform the child that there's stressors in the world that they need to cope with you know, and so that's kind of the, the initiation of the baby is just this wide open heart, you know, and then the father, his initiation is to be able to be selfless and 
um, he's the, I call the father, the guardian of the birth field, right? And his job is to protect the mother against tigers, right? So be able to like hold the space to make sure that threats can't come in, but not just external threats, but her own internal threats, her own thoughts, her own fears, anything that's coming up. If he's a good partner, he, and this can be not just the man, like it doesn't have to just be the father. It could be any partner or someone that's going to take on that masculine role. But like the job of that, that masculine role in birth is to like protect and guard against the possibility of these like harms coming in. And so, you know, he's, he's there to like be an unconditional source of love as well. Like during a pregnancy, I know for me, when I'm pregnant, I get, I'm like all emotional and stuff. I'm pushing him away. I'm pulling him back. I'm pushing him away. And he's like, (laughs) this is kind of his initiation into what it's going to be like to be a father, right? He's going to have that same experience with a child. So like for him to be able to love unconditionally and hold that space um, while this is happening is going to give him the tools to be a good partner and to be a good father. And so that's his role. You know, so it's like, that's the Trinity, I think. of, And then there's, of course, the midwives and the support system and doulas and all those folks that are there to support in different ways. And specifically with midwives, they're there to give guidance for trouble, like times where it's hard, like, for example, a shoulder dystertia or a swollen cervix or something like that, like where it's like a technical thing that they that help needs to be there, right? But other than that, ideally, a midwife doesn't interact much during the actual process except to make her laugh or like give her some tea or make, you know, something like that. So I see birth as being this place where that Trinity of mother and father and baby can, you know, or partners or whatever, you know, we want to say, but that Trinity of like that, those three different initiation roles um, can be held in a sacred space because I see the birth field is also being somewhere where um, the veil is really thin. And that's why people die during birth because it's a time where that, veil between life and death is thin and we we when we ever we chart that we have to be really careful you know of which which way we go and so the more we stay positively centered in our world and more like confident like this is what we we believe that we can do the easier it is to traverse that terrain so to speak <laughs> Liz hey girl you're releasing so much over there I love it <laughs> I don't yeah, I, I'm just going to say that I think we're going to have to do, I think we're going to invite Alana again. And I yes. think the reason this is so important is because we are now at a time, I believe that we are doing a lot of shadow work collectively and we are bringing forth the traumas that we've been um, experiencing, right, throughout our lifetimes. And can you imagine what the world would be like if every person could hear this conversation right now and just acknowledging that to begin with and moving forward as you step out of your home to realize that there is that layer of trauma in every being that you are encountering pretty much. Mm -hmm. You need to move from that place of that acknowledgement, that kind of space and, and understanding and softening. Mm-hmm. It just sounds so profound to me. And my goodness, when you're talking about the women and what they would put through and all of that, and it's just so, there's so much, you know. Yeah. 
There's so much to talk about. And I, as we talk about, we bring it to the forefront of our awareness. And I think that that's one step into really becoming aware of the trauma and then working through that. And that's going to look different for everybody, how much they can talk, listen to somatic work, whatever that is, but just the awareness of that, because when you're not aware, how can you process something that you're not even aware of? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I, and having that perspective for me has, has given me so much compassion, <laughs> you know, cause I can, I can see that people are operating from these like deeper, the thing about the limbic brain is that that's not the conscious brain. It's the, it's like reactionary part, right? So there's a lot of like most people that are experiencing mental health issues, a lot of times are dealing with these like unresolved, deeper limbic brain issues. And it's so it's, it's helped me. I, I've learned like, yeah, I've just learned to be able to have a lot more patience and compassion with people in the world in, in every echelon, you know, whether it's like the people who are like causing all sorts of trauma or, you know, the, the average person I meet on the street. And, um, and even with like the best birth experience, there's still stuff that we have to process and go through and you can't move through life without some type of struggle and suffering. I mean, that's part of being a human. It's part of being incarnate, right? And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just how do we heal from it once we experience it? And I think a big part of it is like what you said, it's acknowledgement, and, and think, of our, think of our ancestors, you know, and the things that we've gone through together, not just in the realm of birth, but that's one of the ones that's the least talked about. But there's so many levels of the suffering that needs to be brought up that has, it's not an easy conversation or an easy feeling, but it's super important. It's, it's, it's so important because as we're talking and the focus for us here is the conversations about what's possible. Right. What are we creating? Literally, what are we birthing? And this comes at such a beautiful time as we collectively agree to a new year in the manifestation of that. And it just feels so perfect that you are our first guest. (laughs) The, 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 The juice for that to really unravel that and what it, what is it that we're birthing as we're dealing with our individual and collective traumas and as we are becoming conscious of the, the machinery that operates and pushes and pulls and all of that. It's just so beautiful. I'm so grateful that you said yes to this and that we're having this co-creation together and I'm deep gratitude. Me yeah. too. Thank you. Alana, thank you so much. I just... Yeah, the something that keeps coming back is just this deep care, you know, for each being and in everything that we do and every, and the birth is where again it all kind of starts the physical incarnation of the of of all of us. And so bringing it back to that is just oh, it's just been so beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. Um, for round two. And, if you, if you, yeah, say. round, yes, I feel like there's so much more we could go into. Um, <laughs> yeah. So rich, so rich. And it is something that just is not talked about enough and not yeah. enough awareness ever been brought to this. You know, I mean, and what could be more relevant? <laughs> yeah, you know? it's true. Uh, Especially right now, as we're looking at this mechanicalization of humanity, um, it's something that you see at the same time it's hand in hand with our birthing processes you know it becomes yep. more and more medicalized and 
And so, you know, if we want to be able to take our power back, we have not, we don't, it's not just about actually giving birth. It's about like seeing that we are these like beautiful um, biological beings that, that, and that biology is sacred. You know, it's something that, that we have been taught, you know, in a lot of, of the world that it's not, that's like filthy or something, but actually it's sacred and it's beautiful. Yes. And we can trust it completely. Yes. We can, especially when we're willing to work, to do the work, because yeah. there's the, the, the body is so, it's like a sponge, you know, we soak everything up. And so when we're able to like squeeze out that sponge and put some fresh water in it, you know, it's, it's going to be yeah. like cleaner, you know, easier. Yes. I like that. Thank you so much. And thank Alana, you. where can, oh yeah. Oh, please. Please. oh. I was going to say, where um, can people connect with you if you'd like them to? <laughs> I know you're yeah. a little busy, but <laughs> um, I mean, I have a website. It's <laughs> it's called alanabliss.com, but it's mostly focused on like a mothering mastermind that I was going to start a while back, but ended up not doing. Um, but people can reach me through that. Um, oh. It's not active necessarily because I got well, pregnant, <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I just my priorities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that between that and the community stuff that we're doing and, and all of the kids, I've been a little bit, yeah, it hasn't been prioritized, but that's a place to get hold of me. Okay. <laughs> and that's, uh, my name is spelled A-L-A-N-A-B-L-I-S-S. So it's alanabliss.com. Great. Yeah. Thank you everyone for being here today. And I look forward to next time. Much yes. love. Thank you. Thank you.